then we get the blessing. You know, children in homes are already blessed because of the love of the parents, not because they obey the rules. They obey the rules out of response to that. And it's the same way in Exodus 20. We've said this before, uh, that the indicative always precedes the imperative. Remember we said that? Uh, A few of you do. Do you remember what that means? It means that in Exodus 20, it says, For I, the Lord your God, who led you out of the land of slavery, out of the house of bondage, I, the God who has already redeemed you. The indicative. You are a redeemed people. Now, imperative, have no other gods before me. Don't take my name lightly. Don't make idols. Worship me one day out of seven and then all of the others that come along with it. Do you see the balance of those two things? It's because of who you are in Christ and what has happened to you that we respond by obeying the law. The law then becomes very light to us. It becomes something beautiful to us that we want to obey. And so we come to it and we want to challenge our children in that way. The scriptures don't just say, don't lie. They also say on the flip side of that commandment, do everything to live a life of integrity. They don't just say, don't murder. They say, do everything to foster life. Don't covet, but do everything to be satisfied with what the Lord is giving you. That's the beauty of the law. So I hope you guys will be listening in in those little moments over the next several weeks uh, as we look at those Ten Commandments. Now, though, let's go to this great God again who has said, I've redeemed you, I love you, I'm with you forever, and I will bless you, not because you obey my law, but part of his blessing is his law for us. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are a God who loves us so much that you have engaged our lives in Christ, that you have penetrated into history in the person and work of Jesus Christ, your son, who was equal with you in power and with glory, who lived perfectly among us, who did everything that was ever asked of humanity, and he did it without sin. And then he gave that perfection to us so that we could enter into your presence forevermore. What an awesome, beautiful plan of salvation we have in Christ. Thank you that it's not based on those ten rules, that Christ perfectly obeyed them, that in him the law has come to its fullness, and that we can rest in him. And our simple response then is day to day to live in a way that has nothing else in front of us but you, that that we don't serve other things, That we don't ever take your name lightly, but we carry it with great weight and significance. That we worship you and that we do everything to foster a healthy lives between individuals. Father, in that vein, would you come now by the power of your spirit and bless us. Would you heal those who are infirmed? Would you come near to those who are tired and strengthen them for caregivers who sit next to beds, who push wheelchairs, who go and visit their loved ones? Father, would you be close to them and strengthen them? God, we pray that you would be our exceeding joy, that we would be known in our lives as people who knew the beauty of their God and exuded it into all of their lives. 
Father, we pray for the ministry and mission of our church and for the church universal that many would come to faith and that those who are broken would find healing and restoration, that those who are haughty and prideful would find humility in Christ, and that all would come to a saving knowledge of your name. Father, we praise you today and we thank you for your many blessings to us. We do again thank you for our new members, encourage them and strengthen them. Father, would you bless our church now. Pour your spirit here. Blow it into this place that we would be forever changed. For these words that we read and these things that we consider are beyond our natural ability and we need your spirit to teach us. So in humility now, your children come and sit under your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As is normally the case in any thing that I undertake, I forget something, and I forgot to mention these, which are at the end of your uh, aisle, or, and you can just fill this out and just let us know that you're around. We're not going to come bugging you a lot on that, but uh, we just want to know that you're here, and if you have a prayer need, you can let us know through this uh, in that way. This is y'all's row there. All right. So, we've been looking at Galatians for a couple of months. Anybody been wondering when we're going to be done with Galatians? It's a short little book, but we're going into it quite a long time. And the reason that I think it's so important in the beginning of at least my ministry here among you and in our ministry together is to establish, basically to establish the ditches. I tell people all the time, Bill, how you doing? Well, I'm just trying to live life between the ditches. And for most of the time, we're not exactly sure what those parameters are. Where where are those things? Well, the gospel given to us through Galatians teaches us just that. It says, here is the Christian life. Here are the values of the Christian life, the very heart of the gospel message itself. What does it mean to be finally free in Christ Jesus and to live a life of freedom and not of bondage? That's what God's calling you to. The invitation, if you're one who's kind of seeking and trying to figure out this whole Christian life thing, it's not for you to come in and become Eeyore. It's not for you to come in and go, oh man, and just to wrestle with everything and be sad about everything and to navel gaze about everything. You know what I mean by Eeyore, don't you? That that Eeyore, that wonderful character of Eeyore, nice house, well, it's probably going to blow down. Uh, Eeyore, isn't it a wonderful day and beautiful and sunny out? Forecast is for rain. You know, it's that other shoe, Christian, that you live your life always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Things seem to be going well in your life. The Lord is really moving and doing some great things in your life, isn't he? Well, you know, it's just a matter of time. Or you hear children are complimented. Wow, I was around your kids. God has really blessed you with great children. Well, you should see them at home. You know, we just live and we wonder why the world around us, if the statistics are right, 80 or 90% of those people in Beaufort County don't go to church. We wonder why they don't. Could it possibly be that the invitation is, hey, why don't you come to church and be as miserable as I am? I don't know about you, but I wouldn't really jump on that one. Versus living a life of exceedingly great joy. Finding in the Lord a depth and a joy that can never be taken from you, a depth and a joy that is explosive within you, it is designed and created by the Holy Spirit in your life in such a way that you can't manufacture it on your own, but it naturally comes out of you, and people around you don't know what to do with you. They're like, 
tell me, how is it that in the middle of all of this junk that's going on, in the middle of the mess that you're facing, in the middle of cancer, in the middle of bankruptcy, in the middle of junior high, in the middle of college, wherever you are, tell me, how is it that you have this deep and profound joy in your life? I want to be around people like you, and I want to go hear uh, encouraging words from people who talk like that. Tell me about that. Do you have people coming up to you like that? Most of us don't, because we're no different from the world in those ways, and we wonder why our message falls down on the ground, and no one's really excited about it. Paul, in Galatians 5, says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not you won't go towards those passions of the flesh, those over-desires of the flesh, but what you'll see by the work of the Spirit in your life and the freedom that's gained in Christ, love, we talked about it last week, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Did I forget one? Half of you don't know. So um, the other half are going, did he get... Those things we start to see naturally born out in our life. And we said that Paul used the singular word fruit, not fruits of the Spirit. That it is the fruit of the Spirit born out in your life with all of these different facets. That as the Spirit is working in your life, you will have all of them. Not necessarily equal, but you will have all of them present in your life. So you can't say, well, I love Jesus, I just don't have any joy. I love Jesus, I just don't have any self-discipline in my life. I love Jesus, but I'm just a harsh individual. It doesn't work. If we have Jesus and we have the Spirit working in our lives, guess what you will see bearing out in your life? More and more, it's not all there perfectly, but you will begin to see a love for one another that is a deep and a profound love. You'll see a joy that we're going to talk about today. Next week, we're going to talk about shalom or peace, a flourishing that comes with the presence of God in the life of the believer, a restorative nature of that. You'll see, I wrestle with discipline in my life, but part of the work of the gospel is a disciplined life, not an out-of-control life. And so that's what we're going to look at today. The text that we're going to go to, though, is in the Old Testament. And we're going to look at the psalmist David, who is talking about joy. And one is uh, printed for you in your bulletin, and, one, and it's on the screen. The other one I added later, and it's, uh, I'm going to read it for you. But in this, we see a descriptive nature of joy. What does it mean that God is our joy? How do we experience it? What is it? How do we get it? Are there counterfeits to it? Uh, and then how do we continue to grow in it? So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn over uh, to Psalm 16. And then flip over in Psalm 43. We're reading from the ESV uh, Bible. It says this, Psalm 16. This is the very word of God. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no God apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run uh, after another God shall multiply Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their name on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. 
I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And then again in Psalm 43, very similar lines. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God, my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is God's word. May he add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of it. Let's pray. God, come now. Bless this time by the power of your spirit. Move in us that this isn't just a few minutes spent together, but a few minutes spent together in the presence of our God and King. Amen. So, when you lose your joy, or as you've currently lost your joy, let me ask you a question. What are your reasons for losing it? Why have you lost your joy? Why is your life seemingly much more melancholy than joyful? As you consider that question, the answers that are probably coming to your mind are, well, If I just had more money at the end of the month to cover all of the bills, then I'd be more joyful. If my husband wouldn't be so overbearing, then I'd have more joy in my life. If my wife didn't constantly point out these things in me, I'd be happier. If my in-laws were different, if I could only get a date with this person, if I could do that or this, then, then I'd have more joy in my life. Almost exclusively, we tie joy to circumstance. We tie our joy to our circumstance, to the things that are happening around us. And what Paul is talking about and what David had such a deep and a profound understanding about Christian joy was this, it actually has absolutely nothing zero, folks, to do with your circumstances. You do realize that your spouse could quit bugging you and you could still be without joy. You could have all the money in the world and still be without joy. Your body could be cleared of all cancer and you could still be without joy. You could live in your little utopian world and everything seemed great but still be without joy because biblical joy, Christian joy, is different 
It's different from all of those things. You see, we tend to list other people, circumstances, sicknesses, or jobs, and all of that uh, as the elements that create or sustain joy for us. So the first question I think that we should ask together is this. What is Christian joy? What is it? That's the first question you should write down. The first thing then you would say in answer to that is Christian joy is not an act of your will. Christian joy is not an act of your will. It is a spontaneous explosion of God's spirit in your life. It is something that you cannot plan for, or you can plan for it, but you can't create it. One pastor put it this way. It's like sailing out on the ocean. You can plan for the wind to come. You can put the, the sails up, correct? But can you make the sails fill with wind? Of course not. It's beyond your control. And so it is with Christian joy. Christian joy is something that comes out naturally. It it is that sort of explosive nature within you by God's spirit, which is spontaneous and emotional. Now we're getting into places for some of you that you don't want to go. Jonathan Edwards spoke of religious affections. He spoke of the emotions. You do realize that the spirit of God affects your emotions. It does do something there. And for many of you, and some of you want to call it a generational thing, and I don't believe it's generational. I believe we hide behind that. Stoicism is not a generation. It may be a generational curse, but it doesn't have to be a generational attribute because there are lots of joyful people who have silver hair or no hair. There are lots of non-joyful people who are 20-something and 13 and in their 30s and 40s. So joy is something different. It comes in and affects our emotions. It touches us in a way that surprises us. C.S. Lewis, in his, in his great dialogue of surprised by joy, everything in his life would have said, there's no joy. Joy is gone for you. He wrestled with depression and the loss of his joy, his wife. But yet he came and he said, oh, what a surprise that my joy comes in the morning when I see my Savior calling. That joy has nothing to do with any of those things. You can plan for it. You can do some things, but joy comes naturally. So the first thing is joy is spontaneous. It's emotional. It's something that comes out of us naturally in that way. Great little picture of it sitting over in Sunday school this morning as we were gathering together and eating some donuts and drinking some coffee and orange juice. There was one little fella sitting there, and some of you were around me, and we were watching him. He had a spontaneous combustion of joy and the object of it was about this round it had a hole in the middle and cream all over the top of it and he just responded with joy it just was natural he didn't have to go okay I'm going to get joyful about this donut it was a natural response of a child to get excited about it Christian joy then is spontaneous and emotional it touches your emotions Okay. Second thing, Christian joy uh, is not superficial or flimsy. It is not superficial or flimsy. And that's more of that idea uh, that it t- it's not tied into our circumstances. Because joy that's tied to circumstances will always be superficial and flimsy. You know why? If your joy is tied to popularity polls, guess what? You're in trouble. 
Because popularity polls move up and down, don't they? If your joy is tied to how well people accept you, guess what? You're in trouble. That's a flimsy and a superficial joy. If your joy is tied to how your body looks in the mirror, careful. You know where I'm going with that one. So, and you can do all kinds of things to sort of fix that, but it's superficial and it's flimsy. All those things are moving. All those things are moving. Christian joy isn't superficial and it's not flimsy, but solid and secure and immovable. And then finally, what is Christian joy? Christian joy, we said, is spontaneous and emotional. We said that it is not flimsy, but it's substantive, not tied to circumstance. And Christian joy is supernatural. Galatians 5 says it is a fruit of the Spirit that it comes by the supernatural work of the Spirit in your life. Therefore, the question has to be asked, and it is a hard question to ask, and one where you will probably go something like this, preacher, you move from preaching into meddling. Well, I'm going to meddle a little bit. That's what I get paid to do. If you don't have joy in your life, it behooves the question of the presence of the Spirit. If no joy, if no love, if no patience or kindness, no Spirit. You see? These things are tests for us in some way. They're important for us to know these things, to look around, not to feel poorly about ourselves, but to go, wow, these are bigger than I thought they were. I thought it was just I was kind of a melancholy, mean person. No, it may mean that the Spirit of God is absent there, and you need to do some dealing with God in that way. Because Christian joy comes supernaturally by the work of the Spirit. We talked about Judas last week, remember? We said Judas had more and greater input than any of us. He was in the best small group with the best small group leader. He had more output. He saw more incredible things happen in his ministry than anybody else. But yet, it says that he was under condemnation. Why? He didn't have the Spirit dwelling in him. Make sure, folks, that the Spirit is dwelling in you. Make sure that you don't have just a religious input and output, but you actually see this bearing out. So what is Christian joy? We said that it is, uh, it's not an act of willpower, but spontaneous emotional, that it's not superficial or flimsy, but firm and deep, and that it is supernatural, not natural. And then we're going to talk just for a moment and say this, this joy, as we've already said, is not tied uh, to our circumstances. Uh, I, I just want to highlight that for you. Joy's not tied to your circumstances. Listen to David in these Psalms. Lord, you're my strong tower and my refuge. Lord, vindicate me in the midst of my enemies. Lord, there's a lot going on. Something was happening in King David's life. The circumstances surrounding King David's life weren't all that great. He had people wanting to kill him. I mean, think about it. He was a king. He had to have somebody testing his food all the time. He couldn't take a drink uh, without somebody going, let me check that out for you first to make sure no one's trying to assassinate you. He had people all around. He couldn't trust family members. He was in danger constantly in his life. But he said, I can experience joy in the middle of all of those crazy circumstances. So, a question for you. 
How closely are you tying your joy with your circumstance? For the American church, it's huge. For the American church, I believe this is one of our greatest flaws. Because if you go on a short-term mission trip somewhere else, or if you go and you go and serve and be with brothers and sisters around the world, you will find for most of them and many of them, they do not tie their joy to their circumstance. Because their circumstance, quite honestly, is horrendous. They don't have homes. They don't have clothing. They're imprisoned. They're beaten. They're shipwrecked. They're attacked. Their names are, are, are just drugged through the mud. They have no wealth. They have nothing. But yet, they have exceedingly great joy. We went to Argentina, into Buenos Aires, into a mission trip. And I remember going. And they said, we're going to go minister to some folks. And as I began to meet one of the men who ministered there, he was one of the most joyful. This guy exuded joy. You ever been around that kind of person? Almost makes you uncomfortable, doesn't it? You sort of want to go, tone it down. <laughs> this guy was just, he was just, and the poor interpreter was just going and going, trying to explain to me what he was saying. And he wanted me to see where he was living and where he was ministering. He wanted to know where he was ministering and living was under an unfinished interstate system that was raised off the ground. And underneath it were thousands of individuals who lived in cardboard boxes. And we went and we sang together in the smell of open sewage in danger and in all of this stuff, joy that I'd never experienced in the most beautiful cathedrals I've ever been in. Because they knew part of the secret of Christian joy is it's not tied to your circumstances, folks. It's not tied to this economy. It is not tied to who wins in November. It's not tied to whether or not your spouse stays with you or leaves you or your health is with you or doesn't or your kids or your parents. It's not tied to any of that stuff. It's tied to something far greater than that. And we have so shortchanged God in that way that we've made it about these other things. The rest of the world wouldn't know how to deal with the American church. We had a Ukrainian pastor visit us in Memphis one time and he went to Sam's and he burst into tears and he ran out of Sam's club. And our missions pastor said, what's wrong? He said, you have so much You have shelves and shelves of things. We have nothing. They wouldn't know what to do with us in Hilton Head Island and in Bluffton and around. They go, why aren't you celebrating more? Why weren't you singing more this morning? My goodness, don't you know how great God is? You have no reason not to celebrate because joy is never tied to your circumstance. Third thing is this. Beware of counterfeit sources of joy. We've got to move quickly. Beware of counterfeit sources of joy. Psalm 16, 4 says this, The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. You see, you're being tempted constantly by counterfeit sources of joy. Your looks, your relationships, your wealth, all of those other things, they're counterfeit sources of joy. Can you find happiness in those things? Sure, there's some good. It's nice to have those things. It's nice to be in shape. It's nice to have money. It's nice to have all of that, but they're not your source, your ultimate source. And what they ultimately lead you to is destruction that steals your joy. 
Think about that. David said, I'm going to have nothing to do with those people. I won't even speak their names on my lips. I am not going to go. I'm not going to follow the passions of this world. I am not going to go and do that because they lead only to emptiness. One writer put it this way. Their vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Cotton candy of cotton candies, all of life is cotton candy. You know what he means by that? You ever been really hungry and then gone and grabbed a big hunk of cotton candy and shoved it in your mouth? What do you have about five seconds later? Is your appetite satisfied? No, but it looked, didn't it look good? I mean, that thing whipping around and sugar spinning and that person is going like this. And you're like, that's amazing. And they bring it up and it's like three feet tall and it's blue and pink. And you're like, this thing is going to be awesome. It's going to satisfy my deepest appetites. I just can't wait. And you dig in and you put it in your mouth and it is gone. And you have a sticky residue and a bellyache. And dentists get wealthy on you. That's what the world offers. Cotton candy of cotton candy. Come and take this. Come and drink this. Come and smoke this. Come and have sex with this. Come and do this or buy this. And then your deepest appetites are going to be satisfied. Have you ever done that? And then you walk away from it and deep inside, it's just that sticky residue. It's buyer's remorse on a deep and a profound spiritual level. Lots of young people who I worked with, college and singles, wanted to get married because they were lonely. And I said, be very careful. Marriage can be the loneliest place you've ever been. Because they were looking for joy in their partner, not joy in the Lord. If you're looking for it in anything else, be careful. Because the world is filled with counterfeits. And David says in Psalm 51, he says, Lord, I'm coming back to you in this way. Would you restore my joy to me? Would you restore the joy of my salvation? Why would he need the joy of his salvation restored? Simple question. Because it had been taken. Lord, restore it. Because everything else that you run after steals your joy. And it doesn't provide for you what you really are looking for. Fourth thing. Third thing was beware of counterfeit sources of joy. Fourth thing, our ultimate source of delight, our ultimate source of joy is God alone. Look at 16.1. In your presence is the fullness of joy. In your presence is the fullness of joy. The final goal of life is not forgiveness or any of God's good gifts. The final goal of life is God himself. Do you realize that? God is your goal. His presence is your goal. He is it. The other stuff that we have, it comes and goes, doesn't it? God says, I'm immovable. I'll never move. I'm never shaken. I am your tower. I am your refuge. You will find joy inexpressible. You will find joy upon joy. Your exceedingly great joy will be found where? In God alone. So here's the question for you. What's your aim? Where are you aiming in life? Are you aiming at all the counterfeits? Are you aiming at all the stuff that the world says will bring you joy? Or are you aiming at the pure source of joy? And saying, I want God. And if I have God, and if I can know that I'm secure in him, then anything else can come my way. And I will not be shaken. I will not be moved. My house is not built on a house of sand, but on a house of rock. And the winds may blow and the storms may come and everybody can be against me. My children can rise up against me. My spouse can leave me. My body can fail. But God will never, ever fail me. That I know that my God comes to me. That my God will always be there for me. Do you have that kind of faith? Do you want that kind of faith? Then quit looking at all the other stuff. 
and begin to look and gaze upon him. Run to where he is. Where do you find him? Do you find him in watching all of the debates and all of the conventions? No. You don't find him on the reruns or on the cooking channel, which I enjoy. Uh, You don't find him in sports of whether your team wins or loses. Uh, you, You don't find him in all of those things. You find him where? Here, in his expressly given word, in creation, seeing him and being mystified by his beauty, being around brothers and sisters in Christ who help you in that way to say, hey, let me lift up your eyes a little. Your, your horizon's too low. You're, you're looking here. Look here. Look up. God is the source of your joy in Christ. Everything else will fall away, but he won't. And the final thing we'll look at together is this. How then do you find it? How do you find it? John Piper put it this way. The ultimate battle is, will God be my exceeding joy? Will God be the gladness at the heart of all my joys? That's the ultimate battle for the Christian. So how does the battle fought? Three things. Pray, worship, preach. Okay? Pray, worship, preach. These Psalms, guess what they are? They're prayers. Honest prayers before God. God. I have a divided mind and a divided heart now. I know in my head, but I'm not feeling it in my heart. God, would you come and would you minister to me? God, would you do something in me? Would you work in this? Would you, would you come, Lord? Would you be honest with him? You know that prayer should be honest, right? God already knows what you're thinking. You might as well go ahead and express it. Right? I remember standing on our porch, and I think I've said this to you before, um, that after my father died, We're sitting there and I didn't know how to deal with that. And a man gave such great wisdom. He said, what do you want to do? He said, I want to yell at heaven. I want to scream at God. He goes, go ahead. God's a big boy. He can take it. You talk about freedom. You mean I can actually honestly come before God and say, God, I don't get it. I want to experience joy in you. I want to do this. But everything in me is breaking apart. God, would you be my joy? Would you come, and he says, and would you teach me your way? Would you come and do that? So how do you see this joy and fight this battle in your life? First, be a person of prayer. Pray regularly and constantly. Not that your cancer will go away, even though that's not a bad prayer. Not that your fortunes will be restored, even though that's not a bad prayer. Not that your relationships will be restored. But that God would be your exceedingly great joy. God, would you be my source? Would you strip away everything else? So I can see you. And then worship. Coming to God leads you naturally into worship. It comes, you, it comes to lead you to express that joy, folks. I want us to be a church that raises the roof. That you sing loud. I love it when uh, you're around other people, let's just say. And um, in that moment when they don't know you're listening. And you hear them singing maybe in the shower. Or you hear them singing while they're working out in the yard. Or you hear them and they're just singing. And they're just, they're they're expressing it. Worship is a place for you to find your joy. Come and engage in the worship. And then finally this, preach to yourself. David said, why so downcast, O my soul? He preached to his heart. He spoke to his heart more than he listened to his heart. I hear over and over again from folks, Bill, that's just how I feel. 
could it be possible that your feelings are wrong? Bill, that's just how it is. That's just how I am. That's just how I feel. Could it be possible that those feelings are tied to a broken, sinful heart that's been deceived? Well, Bill, I just doubt this. Well, have you ever doubted your doubts? When did your doubts become the sancto-sanct base of everything else? Preach. Why so downcast, O my soul, with honest assessment? What are you putting your hope in? Uh, You're putting your hope in something other than God. Expose it and then dismantle it. And if you need help, bring others with you. You know that, right? Bring others with you. Say, hey, I'm wrestling with this. I have bought into a lie and it has got such a hold on my life that I can't get around it. I think that everything around me, I've got this. And bring others in to help you with that. And then guess what? David says, you get it. And here's what we'll end with. When Jesus was talking on the road to Emmaus with the disciples, he was teaching and preaching to them. And then he came back later to them. And he said, listen, I'm your joy. And I'm going to leave for you joy. And no one can take it from you. You realize that, right? The joy that you have in Christ can never be taken from you. For it is from him a gift not predicated on you, but his gift implanted in you. So let's be a church that celebrates with great and exceeding joy our God. God, we thank you. What a great challenge to us that we want in our lives that spontaneous emotional response uh, of just sensing it, coming out in us in word and in deed, overwhelmed by your presence. God, forgive us when we've gone and run after other things that promise joy and all they've led to are disappointment and scars and hurt and they've stolen our joy. Would you restore the joy of our salvation in Christ, the beauty of the gospel? Father, the Galatians had moved over to law and they'd lost their joy. We want to resonate with grace and be joy-filled forevermore. God, you are our exceeding joy. Oh, love that will not let me go. Praise be to you, our Father. Amen. Let's sing together this morning.